Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. Episode 10, the one about annoying Zoom mistakes, Trello, Canva, and streaming-only Mulan. Let's get on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify the world of digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast, I give you, as always, Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we're back. We're back, Roger. And what a pleasure it is to spend time with a man on a mission to keep marketing simple. You are the voice of the Marketing and Finance podcast and the host of the Roger Vlog video series. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you, Pascal. And it's a bit of a landmark for us already, isn't it? Episode number 10. Number 10, one zero. Um Wow. I mean, after weeks and months of prep, then recording, you know, the kind of the first four or five episodes, launching it, you know, a few weeks ago, and then recording weekly and publishing and, and so on. It's been just a wonderful creative endeavor. But the feedback and the comment have been quite special. Yeah, absolutely. We've had some really quite special comments from some, admittedly, some very close friends, but that that's only to be expected. And, and, it's just great to read those comments out, Pascal, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so I know that, you know, thanks to your hard work, uh, Roger, we are on the large majority of podcast directories, including uh, places in India and in France. We're making inroads to also expand our presence on the different video directories. So, yes, I expect that things are going to continue to go from there. Yeah. So do you think it would be appropriate to read out some of those comments and almost say thank you for your comments. I think so. So I hope you don't mind, but we'll start with actually the very first person who left a comment, and then we're going to go through the list of our well-wishers and supporters. So starting with Mr. Mark Orr from Pocket Video School. Great episode, guys. Looking forward to listening to more. And Rory Bork from Digital Knowledge Exchange Service said, great concept, a progressive and inspiring podcast podcast for the creative marketer. Amazing. Love the synthwave vibes <laughs> and the branding. Looking forward to tuning in again. We've got Tiana Wilson-Bys from Talking Business. This is fantastic. Well done, Roger and Pascal. Matthew Carr from City Electrical Factors says, This looks amazing, Pascal Fintoni. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, Elise Quevedo from MCGE Limited. Great job, guys. You have both done a superb job so far. More, please. Michelle MacArthur Morgan from Jigsaw at Work. Thanks for the call out, Pascal. The podcast that Roger and yourself have put together is awesome. Beth Hewitt from Visualize You. I am really loving the show. I am on episode three and I have already subscribed. Congrats to you both. Courtney G. Jones from the Mobile Creator Podcast says, I got a chance to check out what you and Roger have done with your podcast. Keep up the good work. We've got a message on YouTube from L2 Brennan. Uh, enjoying the podcast, exclamation mark. Any chance you're going to be or are going to make yourself available on Stitcher? Well, L2 Brennan, it's done. It's done. It's there on Stitcher. Russ Howarth from the fan from the Family Business Advisor says, Great podcast here from Roger Edwards and Pascal Fintoni. Thanks for the shout out and keep up the good work. We've got Victoria Teller from Victoria Teller UK. I had a listen on my way back from the Coatswolds. Love the format. Thank you for the shout out, Roger. 
I love it that people are listening to us whilst traveling. That's what podcasting is all about, isn't it? Sarah Archer from Story Led Marketing said, love the show format and lo- looking forward to hearing more. And we've heard from Monsieur Mark Asquith from Rebel Burst Media. Damn, son. Looks ace. Nice work both. <laughs> I love that. Damn, son. <laughs> and we have had some other nice, short, positive comments from other people as well, haven't we, Pascal? We have. So let me go through the list, if you don't mind, Roger. We've got Andy okay. Green from Lagos Video, Beverly Sherrod from Launchpad Associates, Claire Downham from Unique Journey, Nicole Osborne from Lollipop Social, David Kilkelly from Blick Back Video, Paul Stenthorpe from Lone, Picture, uh, Lone Pine Picture, a fan of Back to the Future, Aileen Smith from The Health Hero, Hilary Dunn from the Brand Activators, Andy Stort from Advantage Performance Group, Maldus Holzman from the Happy at Work Agency, and Victoria Fleming from Buzztastic. Do you know, you actually deserve a medal for getting through that list <laughs> and all those company names. It's quite a tongue twister reading out it so can many be. different people. But you know what makes a difference is that I could in, I could picture those people yes. in, in, in mind because, as you mentioned, these are very close friends and associates who have taken the time to uh, send their best wishes and supporters. And now that you know this show has an audience, some that we know, some that we're going to get to know as uh, new friends, it just feels just a wonderful bit of work to be doing every week with you, Roger. It's it's great fun. It's great fun. And, and I think we really do get into the debates. You know, we've always said, haven't we, that this is us talking in the pub or in the coffee shop with a glass of wine or a, or a mug of coffee. And we're just we're just sharing it with our friends and sharing it with the world. And it, yeah, it's great, great fun. So everyone, thank you for allowing us the opportunity to share that feedback with you. It's been great, but I think we should get back on track now, Pascal. So we'll head straight into the news. So let's begin, Roger, with Asda, who's bringing back the pocket tap to promote £100 million in price cuts as it's looking to become the supermarket brand helping shoppers hit by the financial impact of the pandemic. Aldi puts focus on quality with Great British Bake Off sponsorship. The discount supermarket is taking over from Amazon for the 11th series of the Channel 4 Biggest Show. While Ben and Jerry's have launched a new podcast show, the series tackles historical aspects of American racism present in national culture, but often overlooked. Walmart teams up with Microsoft on a TikTok bid, eyeing e-commerce advertising opportunities. If it takes place, the deal could seriously shake up the digital media sector as Walmart will gain access to a powerful wedge against its rivals like Amazon. And Starbucks, you know, the famous chain of coffee shops, has launched a rewards loyalty scheme to offer a more personalised and contactless retail experience. This is in response of growing consumers' needs. Facebook begins its search for a new CMO. They want an innovative storyteller for this job. Facebook's next CMO faces ongoing challenges around reputation and trust, while at the same time being tasked with building the brand. That's a massive job. Well, following the new Marks and Spencers and Ocado partnership, Waitrose is also looking into the future of convenience with a Deliveroo tie-up, which will offer a 30-minute delivery service to half a million customers. 
And finally, Pascal, LinkedIn rolled out new features for pages on Wednesday to help companies promote their events, learn more about their followers, and facilitate communication amongst employees directly on the platform. And, and I think LinkedIn have been a little bit... Um, slow to develop the pages functionality so a lot of people will probably be really pleased about that mm. and i hope it's not just for the kind of high ranking officers and users of linkedin or sometimes this is a very very slow rollout but um roger wow what about those partnerships yeah there's there's i i, I guess you're seeing this all over the world at the moment, aren't you? Collaboration. And, and, and funnily enough, in the personal branding space and, and the, the, the self-employed space where you and I do most of our work, the word collaboration is, is, is a pretty hot topic, isn't it? You know, people are always saying, let's collaborate on a podcast just like we're doing here. Let's collaborate on a YouTube video. But I think maybe it's as a result of the, of the, of the pandemic there just seems to be a lot more businesses coming together to share their expertise and work together to build both brands. The one that uh, I'm a bit perplexed about um, is that Walmart, Microsoft, TikTok uh, kind of you know uh, try, trio going on here. Uh, on paper, it, it looks like that that's a little silly, but actually, once you get past that, it's a pretty wise move. Yeah, again, I, Walmart is. Obviously, it's Asda in the UK, isn't it? And Walmart is gigantic in the United States. And I tend to get a little bit sort of freaked out by this whole TikTok thing, because on the one hand, you just wonder whether it's not Trump going off against the Chinese and just using TikTok as a scapegoat. Uh, but, you know, obviously, this is going to happen. And Amazon if it faces more competition, you know, I'm a big fan of competition because it makes brands work on their propositions, makes brands work on their offer, it makes them improve their offer so they don't lose ground. So, you know, maybe it's a good thing that it'll it'll find that Amazon are having to look over the shoulder once in a while. So I think for me, you know, what was interesting about the news element is it allows you and I to reflect a little. So I would agree that, you know, I'm hearing, I'm sensing that this partnership arrangement to becoming more and more uh, current and common. And then on the other side, you've got content marketing where people try and address issues which are way beyond their core offering and their, their kind of main operations. So mm -hmm, I'm going to ask mm -hmm. your reaction about Ben and & Jerry's and this podcast tackling aspects of American racism. Yeah, this is... This is a tough one to talk about without inadvertently saying the wrong thing. There's a lot of talk at the moment about brands having sort of grand uh, ambitions and, and sort of almost like lofty purposes. And, and I think they have to tread a very fine line to, between doing something that's actually genuinely helpful and something that's actually just jumping on a bandwagon. And you know, we all want to make sure that our businesses are in inclusive, and and you know we're not we're not discriminating against any race or any gender or, or whatever. We all want to make sure that that's happening, but that's what we should be doing anyway. And I do get a little bit nervous when when some brands make a real big focus on it. You just wonder whether 
it's really ingrained within what they're doing or whether they're just using it as another way to get competitive advantage. And it's such a tightrope to walk at the moment because if you get it wrong, you're going to have an absolute landslide of outrage directed against you. So it is a very difficult one to get right, Pascal. I think so, and I would agree with you. If this has been part of your values, and this is basically something a narrative, to use a term that has been present as part of your communication for the last few years, then I think it's a easier fit isn't it if yeah. it's just sudden like out of nowhere you suddenly kind of declare this interest in in a particular topic so uh, i mean i myself are going to do a bit more research on that not to kind of catch ben and jerry out but actually just to kind of see the link because for the audience it has to come across as plausible for you to have an interest and make a statement about an area that is way way outside of your core offering and core operation yeah, I mean, I, I like brands to already have an ethos built into their whole being that is inclusive across everything. And, and I don't think that they need to have this sort of broadcast lofty purpose to draw attention to it. I, I can't remember whether it was, it might have been Starbucks or it might have been another coffee brand a while back made some great big statement that uh, we are on a mission to do this within the world. And I was sitting there saying, well, no, actually, you're on a mission to make sure that your customers get the best coffee in the most convenient way at a decent price. You should be doing all that other stuff anyway. And again, it's a tightrope and we probably shouldn't get too too far into it, Pascal. Otherwise, we might fall off the wrong side of the of the tightrope ourselves. So, should we move on to the content spotlight section? Oh, I'd love to. It's the content spotlight section, and this is where Pascal and I choose a piece of content. Could be an article, podcast, video, something we've seen during the week that we want to discuss and debate. Now, neither of us are privy to what the other person has chosen. So, Pascal, surprise me with your piece of content this week. Now, I'm not going to surprise you with the format. It is, yet again, a long-form uh, piece of written content, but I might surprise you by the title. The title of this article that I spotted about a week ago is How to Master Your Goals with the Ulysses Pact. Ooh. Now, Ulysses, as in the Greek hero from obviously the Odyssey, the um, kind of famous Greek legends. Now, if I may I'll have a bit of a preamble leading to that article. Um, every evening, Denise and I have a routine where we, we watch uh, those game shows on TV, kind of quiz show, and we have a couple of favorites. And one of them went through the Greek legends. Now, when I was a child, I absolutely adored the Greek legends. I used to read them. And actually, both Hercules and Ulysses were my favorite because they had to go through so much in terms of challenges and, and ordeals. And in the case of um, the quiz show, they were asking questions by Ulysses, and I could answer the questions. And Denise was really impressed with that. And then a day later, I opened my inbox, and in my inbox was an email from Trello.com, you know, that um, kind of... Uh, project management platform that you and I use sometimes. And the article written by Musuma Memon, what a fantastic name, another brilliant SEO name. Now, Musuma Memon is a lady who is a freelance copywriter for the kind of uh, IT industry, and she's worked 
for many brands, including Troy.com. She wrote this How to Master Your Gold Using the Ulysses Pact. And because I'd just been sh showing off with Denise my knowledge of Greek legends, I thought I should look into that. Now, you may remember Ulysses was one of the many heroes who had taken part in the Trojan War, as far as the legend goes, and yeah. was making his way back home. They were driven, of course, by storms, natural or maybe from the gods were upset about you know what happened in in in, in Troy and then spent time making their way back home facing many challenges and monsters and one of those monsters were the famous sirens mm. the mermaids if you remember the, the legends go as far as if you were to hear the bewitching songs and lamentations of the sirens you'd be forced to veer of course and crash your ship onto the low, uh, the the shallow waters or you need dive into the water and drown now, Ulysses then um, did a pact with his um, sea mates whereby he would be tied to the mast. They would put beeswax in, in their ears and sail through the islands, whilst Ulysses would essentially plead and threaten them of all sorts to be let loose. They would not because of the pact, and then they would essentially make their way uh, into safer waters. Now, what uh, obviously um, Masuma is suggesting is that we're not going to tie ourselves to a mast to try and obviously make our way through our goals. But what she's saying is that in business, we have our own version of the sirens called self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, and the most evil of all sirens, procrastination. Yes. And what she's saying is that, like Ulysses, you will have to go through those uh, kind of dangerous waters and you will have to hear the singing, bewitching songs of the sirens, but you have to have a technique to break through. And you have to make a pact potentially with others or a pact um, with yourself. So I thought it was just an interesting way to uh, juxtaposition of ancient history and modern technology. Now, what she's saying is that um, we, all of us, have plans and business, business goals that are languishing uh, into our to-do list, which I thought was actually so, so relevant, particularly now where we've been stuck indoors a lot, Roger. And I know about you, but I've been guilty of making lots of plans, some of them are not particularly uh, wise in terms of you know how complex they were and so on. But the other thing that she's saying is that one should not feel bad in terms of hearing and sometimes listening to the sirens of procrastination because it's a very natural and normal behavior for people. And the reason for that is as follows, is that typically we are happy to undertake an activity if we see a reasonably swift reward, which is why many of us have had to sometime you know, take a plan and put it into smaller bite-sized bits of activities, because at the end of completing an activity, there's the sense of achievement and the sense of reward. So using again the analogy of Ulysses and the pact, you have to find a way to create a situation, a circumstance that supports you in achieving your goals. So like Ulysses, you have to potentially support, uh, get support from others and so on. So a couple of things you can do according to the article, and again, I would encourage you to read it because she goes into so much more depth about the psychology of putting things off and so on. Um, you could perhaps announce publicly announce your plans. 
And then you have this real sense of, wow, well, I better get on with it because the public at large or, or my business community um, is aware of it. A close cousin, which I know you and I uh, do believe in, it makes yourself accountable by being part of a peer group or a mastermind group, if you prefer the term, that kind of interesting one. The other things that you could do is really apply quite a bit of self-awareness and find the form of rewards that are going to be true incentives to you. Whatever that might be, whether, Roger, you're going to treat yourself to a new bottle of wine, whether you're going to go for a walk, whether you're going to actually watch a movie. And the other form of incentive is to actually calculate and actually um, can really work out the loss of not taking action. So what are you losing at? And really articulate it for yourself. But self-awareness is really, really quite important. And a two final one that is mentioned decide early what you're going to do and book in advance so essentially this business of you know starting on the monday morning and putting together a to-do list is not perhaps the best pact you can do with yourself but sitting down to think of what you're going to do next month or the month after and put it in a diary might work better for you finally and i believe this in in celebrate your small victories often so instead of you know waiting for when you've reached uh, in case of Ulysses, once you've gone home after you know months of traveling through the seas, and this is the only time you celebrate, why don't you celebrate almost at the end of each day that you're still alive and you survived and so on and wait waiting for things to work for you? So how to master your goals with the Ulysses Pact by Masuma Memon is my selection for today. I like a lot of the ideas that are in there. <laughs> what I particularly like, Pascal, is the, the personalization of some of those demons or some of those monsters that, that she described there. Imposter syndrome stood out for me, and it, it stood out for two reasons. First of all, I did one of my little uh, Marketing Made Simple videos a few weeks ago about imposter syndrome because it's something that affects me. I, I often find myself sitting on a plane traveling towards a conference, or or should I say I used to find myself on a plane traveling towards a conference, and then I'll suddenly get a wobble where I suddenly have that feeling that I'm not really an expert. I don't really have the knowledge. I don't really deserve to be there. And the second thing is I actually saw somebody on Twitter do this thing, the, the same thing the other day, and the tweet was something like, I faced a choice this morning, give in to imposter syndrome or go out there and nail it. And then she said dot, 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 dot. And at the bottom of the tweet, it says, and now imposter syndrome is bound, gagged and tied up and stuffed in the back <laughs> of the wardrobe. So she personified and almost made imposter syndrome into a phys physical entity, into a monster. Mm. And she'd bound and she'd gagged it and she'd put it in the wardrobe. And I just thought that was a really nice way of of articulating how she dealt with it and, and that's effectively the same thing isn't it it is yes no i'm glad you, you like it because i thought again she was exploring something that is known you know and it's mm -hmm. not new but it's the way in which she weaved you know that ancient story into her um kind of explanation and rationale i thought was a a good example of um creative writing to begin with but yeah. also a nice way to make you reflect and, and in this case for us to discuss it right roger so what have you got for me this week okay pascal this is uh, it's sort of retreading a topic that we looked at quite early on in one of the earlier episodes of two geeks in a marketing podcast but i did think i would come back to it and the reason is this week i just happened upon a fairly sizable 
um, online conference for a big UK institution. Now, I'm actually not going to tell you who that big online institution is because I feel a little bit embarrassed for them because I think they should have done better. Ah. So it's it's almost like a trade body for an industry. And given the fact that both you and I are in the marketing trade, it's probably not such a big leap to work out which trade body it actually is, but I'm not going to specifically name them. Now, they were doing this conference, and, and they had some fairly big names on the bill. You know, people that we've already given shout-outs to on this podcast, and also people who are very high up in big corporates, you know, marketing jobs in big corporates. So we're seeing titles like CMO and Senior Vice President and stuff like that. And, and, And Pascal, some of the video presentation was just awful. You know, it was the typical camera really down low looking straight up somebody's nose or somebody sort of hanging onto their hand like this or somebody just not looking directly into the camera and and I'm thinking for such a prestigious organization didn't you do any form of run-through or did you not set yourself any you know uh standards (laughs) for people to adhere to and I found myself the same afternoon having a conversation with Claire Yosa. We've already given Claire a shout out on on this podcast. And I was ranting and raving about this to her. And, And she says, Roger, Roger, don't expect people to be like you and I are. You know, we are doing this video and we've been doing it for many, many years. But a lot of these big corporates have only recently discovered the use of Zoom and Microsoft Teams, whatever it is, they haven't been using it like we've been doing for podcasts and shows like this for many, many years. So they haven't got that expertise. So it's an opportunity for all of us. And then I came across this article, which is what I want to... That, sorry, that was such a long introduction, wasn't it? But it, it's it's basically written by the people at Zoom. Right. And it, it's 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 probably written more from the point of view of somebody who's going for a job interview using Zoom but I thought some of these some of these tips were really actually as relevant for a job interview and as relevant for anything presentation whatever it might be and 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 some of them are a little bit fun so I thought it'd be interesting there's only four of them I'll go through them very quickly the first one is too much fidgeting and peeking at your phone so you know I I could do this I could be looking down here or looking over there and 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 it's just it's just distracting isn't it it's annoying but people are doing this and they're doing it in presentations you know it's really 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 distracting for the audience the second one and and again i i admit this is really difficult up and down eye movements across the computer screen it's a bit like it's a bit like this isn't it Mm -hmm. and you know, we, we really do need to make a conscious effort to look with our eyes directly into the lens of the webcam or the camera or whatever it is. Because if you're looking directly into the webcam lens, then by definition, whoever's watching it is therefore looking into your eyes. And it creates that connection, doesn't it? Whereas if your eyes are down here, now in fairness, on this podcast, we're reading out some of the news, so we're doing it as well. But the main thing is to try and to maintain that 
eye contact. You know, I, I was watching a, a video from a from a vlogger the, the other day that I, I follow, and I love his vlogs, and he's done thousands and thousands of vlogs, but he's recently bought himself a new camera that has a flippy-out screen. And it's obvious that he's never used a camera with a flippy-out screen before, because in this particular vlog, he spent the entire video looking up like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, no, you're looking at the flippy-out screen. You're not looking at the lens. It's hard to do, Pascal, isn't it? But if you can do it, it it's just creates that connection with the audience straight away. The third one, visibly worried and distracted by things you can't control. Well, you know, make sure that if you don't want the cat or the dog to come in, that the door's locked or make sure that if you know that the plumber's going to be coming round, not to book your conference call when the plumber's coming round. And therefore, it just takes all that worry away. And finally, and we've said this one before, when you're on video, there's something about video cameras that suck the energy out of you. And therefore, you've got to put in about 120% into your performance onto the camera so that once the video camera has sucked that element of energy out of you, then you're back to what you would normally be like if you were with somebody face to face. So I thought that was quite a nice little summary of a few things to think about. Whether you're using Zoom for an online interview or indeed like that big institution which should have known better, an online conference. Do you know, the very last one I'm going to pick on, this has been one of the biggest mystery ever to me, whereby on occasion, uh, I thought maybe when I presented, you know, a webinar, maybe I took part in an event, I went, mm, maybe I was a bit um, too much of my energy, maybe I was a bit too fast. When you watch it again, it's almost like it's a little slow, and it's like, wow. Mm. So yeah, mm. you're right, that, that deficit that you get is kind of um, fascinating. The very first one, I've heard that happen in real interview situations. So imagine someone is in a room, actual room, the power in front of them, and halfway through they just look at their phone. Mm-hmm. That shows you know real dependence on on, on the small screen. Um, reflecting on the conversation you had with Claire Yosa, uh, as it is now the way to pronounce it, because she kindly corrected me uh, on, on LinkedIn. I, I, <laughs> I don't think I, I can be as kind as she is. Uh, I'm terribly sorry, Roger, but a lot of the things that are happening uh, online or on TV. Must become a pet hate now. Well, I, I shout at the TV a lot, not because of my you know age that is kind of increasing in, in years, but also because I, I see people in position of authority, in position of power that should know much much better. Um, I'm sorry, but the body language issue and the language and the uh, it's just simple uh, manners to me uh, and simple communication skills that should be with you way before you, you worry about by the webcam. But that's only because I perhaps you not know, as um, kind-hearted as as Claire um, but the rest in terms of, of the technique you're right you know it's to do with the uh, the device it is hard to look into the lens because there are other things that are distracting so uh, obviously just uh, as um, you know a description when you are um, talking to me I uh, look at you but then when I'm addressing you, I look back at the lens. And it's something that takes a lot of practice. And everybody's going to have good days and bad days. But the one thing that um, I do if I'm doing webinars, for example, and sometimes I have like a, a view window of the attendees. Uh, on Zoom, you can do that, Roger. You can actually drag it and put it just below the webcams. Actually, mm-hmm. even though you're looking at them, you end up, you know, the, the eyes in the right direction. Uh, you're right. I don't think we can repeat and remind the, the techniques uh, often enough. 
because this is a new way uh, of operating. And I think you're right, whether it's a job interview, whether it's a business presentation, whether it's a, a team meeting where you as a team leader have to kind of, you know, convey messages. We, we've got to, A, remind ourselves that just because we are online and because of the laptop or the mobile phone doesn't give you permission to forego uh, manners and good communication skills. And then there's some additional techniques that you have to learn. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And, you know, e even again on, on Zoom, one thing I found out recently, which I wasn't aware of, is you can actually get rid of yourself from the, you know, the block of, uh, of faces. <laughs> and, and, and for some of us, ourselves become another distraction. You know, you'll start looking down here. Oh, look, at I've got a spot or uh, I've, I've, I've forgotten to comb my hair or something like that. It's distracting. So get rid of your face from the from the block and you'll you'll do a lot better. Pascal, how about we move on to the next section, which is the marketing tech Welcome to the marketing tech section. This is where Pascal and I choose sometimes one, sometimes two items of marketing tech and tell you why we like it and what it does. So Pascal, what have you got for me this week? Roger, do you remember I mentioned a moment ago Trado.com, uh, which mm -hmm. is a great visual platform to manage action lists, to share information with your team and so on. Uh, now, sometimes Trello can be a little complex or can demand quite a bit of time and perseverance. So there is a simpler interface I wanted to mention, remind you of, called Google Keep. Now, Google okay. Keep is almost the best kept secret um, by Google. And yes, I did say that on purpose. So. It's, uh, it was introduced without any announcements or any fanfare, which is usually the case with Google, uh, quite some time ago. And this is essentially a visual dashboard where you can create post-it uh, stickers, you can do to-do lists, you can even leave voice uh, messages and all sorts to essentially help you manage a, a, a project. Uh, unlike a... Um, trailer you can't allow you don't allow more than one board so you have to mm. think about this but think of it as you know your kind of uh, cork board and you can pin things on it and with each of the post-it notes you can then go into into more details you can add some list you can then tick things off the list and so on and so forth but in spirit it's meant to be for kind of um, team collaboration but it can be used you know for, for yourself on your own one of the um, really impressive feature of um, google keep is that it will transcribe or for you justly mm. quite nice so if you were to use the mobile app and leave yourself or your team a small message it can also be transcribed and become copy which is actually quite interesting you, what you can also do with um, google keep let's say you're working on a visual let's say you're going to be working on an advert or maybe on a pdf document or on the cover of a book what people can leave is annotation on google keep which is actually quite nice not many platforms can do that the one thing that i've not had the pleasure of trying just yet is reminders based on location so here's the mm -hmm. thing uh, roger you have some actions against a particular project the to-do list and you say to yourself right uh, i need to buy maybe some some items or i need to book something and you will be buying this item from a specific shop or you would be booking uh, tickets from a specific venue if as you travel uh, you are near the venue you get a reminder that on your action list you meant to be buying something from that particular uh, business and i thought it was kind of interesting how google maps decided to kind of weave its way into other aspects of the google products because as you know the plan for google is to make google maps a social network although they seem to be taking a long time to do so 
So again, as part of your kind of uh, mastering your goals, maybe using the Ulysses Pact, if you allow me to make a link, Google Keep, a very simple interface, but very powerful features. And I think we've mentioned Canva before in Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast. can't remember whether it was a specific shout-out like this or whether we've just mentioned it from time to time. Now, I've been using Canva off and on for, ooh, it must be five or six years, mainly for my other podcasts' graphics. Um, but recently, uh, I've been taking a much more of an interest in things for YouTube, and I, and I made a shout-out a few weeks ago for something called MixKit, which gives you a load of graphics that you can use on YouTube. Now, recently, Canva have introduced a lot more video-based content and templates, whereas previously it was mainly just static visuals that you could use for PowerPoint slides or, or social media, so effectively just photographs or, or collages and that sort of thing. They've introduced some really good, usable, changeable YouTube templates. Now, anybody who watches the video version of Two Geeks in a Marketing podcast can't have failed to be absolutely blown away by the introductory graphics that we have on the show. And it's really bright and it's really 90s and in 1980s. But that was produced using an After Effects template, an Adobe After Effects template. But... Now, within Canva, you can create the same sort of thing, but without the price tag that goes with an After Effects template. And whilst they're not quite as flexible and jazzy as our own introduction, Pascal, there's a lot of stuff in there. And you, you, know, you could create little title sequences between the segments if you're doing a show like ours, or just a quick introduction to your YouTube channel without having to go away and create it using a very expensive product like Adobe After Effects. So I was actually quite impressed having a play with it this week as to what you can do and the flexibility and the animations that you can create right there in Canva. So Canva's no longer static. It's now video-enabled. So go and check it out. That is incredible news, Roger. I mean, Canva's yeah. become the ultimate virtual assistant. And mm -hmm. if you work alongside a graphic designer, as you and I do, then really it's just um, really quite impressive what you can achieve. Yeah. I mean, I know that a lot of people slate Canva a bit. Oh, you can tell when somebody's using Canva. But again, you know, you you don't want to look the same as everybody else. But if you take one of their templates, the good thing is it saves you time, saves you a bit of money, but make sure you tweak it so that you put your own stamp on it so that it doesn't look exactly the same as it might do on somebody else's. But make it your own. And honestly, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. So, Pascal. Shall we go back in time? <laughs> this Week in History. So, Pascal, we fired up the DeLorean, we flicked the switches on the TARDIS, and we're spinning the wheel on the time machine. We're heading back in time. So tell me, what happened this week in history? I'll begin with 1937. J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit is published with a print run of 1,500 copies, which is sold out by December. In 1957, Nevada is the test site for the first ever underground nuclear explosion. Just 65 miles north of Las Vegas, a 1.7 
kiloton nuclear weapon produced no radioactive fallout. Well, I hope so. In 1954, <laughs> the first successful Fortran program runs. Now, Fortran, which is an acronym for Formula Translator, was invented by IBM for engineering and scientific applications. In 1963, The Outer Limits premieres on ABC TV. It ran for two years only and was revived in 1995 until its final cancellation in 2002 by the Sci-Fi Channel. 1986, a decisive victory for computer designers, a federal judge ruled that code used to run computers and other electronics devices could be copyrighted like printed material. In 1993, the sitcom Frasier, which was a spin-off of Cheers, starring, starring Kelsey Grammer, debuted on NBC and became one of the most popular American TV shows of the late 20th century. In 1997, Apple Computer Incorporations names co-founder Steve Jobs interim CEO. Interim CEO? Well, we know where that ended up, don't we? In 2008, Google and T-Mobile introduced the T-Mobile G1, the world's first Android-based smartphone. Today, Android is the world's most popular smartphone platform. Wow. You know, what's amusing uh, about you know, looking at this is that sometimes you were, I was present. I remember vividly, you know, the outer limits coming back in the nineties, uh, and thinking, how, how come I don't know this? I remember Frasier. I've been a big fan ever since, but then you read things that took place in the fifties and the forties and thirties, and you kind of go, oh, you're right. That kind of makes sense. I have to tell you, Roger, I'm pleased. I didn't live near Las Vegas in, in the fifties, <laughs> 65 miles doesn't feel like uh, far enough. Do you know, I can see in my head Harrison Ford in the last <laughs> Indiana Jones film getting into that fridge as the nuclear explosion goes off and then getting thrown into the air about 10,000 feet and smashing into the side of a mountain and then just getting out and just casually dusting himself down. But yeah, absolutely, it's it's a scarily close to Las Vegas. And Outer Limits, again, before I was born, but... Obviously, I've I've seen it on repeat. And what was the outer? I always get um, confused between the outer limits, and there was something else which was very similar. Was the outer limits the one where William, a very young William Shatner, was sat on a plane and he's looking out the window, and there's some sort of demon sat on the wing pulling wires out of the engine. No, uh, that's or, a no, that was Twilight the one, Zone. Was it? That the was the Twilight Zone, yeah. was it? <laughs> and that was the, the movie version with the uh, very young Steven Spielberg uh, helping right. out at the time. Right. Now, the, the Outer Limits, uh, as you know, only ran for two years. Mm -hmm. um, and people say, well, that's not very long. But I may remind you that Star Trek only ran for three years. And Absolutely. I think in the 60s, uh, studios made some very, very poor decisions sometimes. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, this is probably a discussion we can have on a future episode of Two, Two Geeks, but I do sometimes wonder whether the expectation today that series will run for six, seven, eight, however many series is, is actually possibly a problem. You know, in the, in back then, three series of Star Trek was pretty good. And, you know, the best quality episodes of Star Trek, the original series, were the second series and the front end of the third series and then it really did start to suffer from some creative problems and I do wonder that some, sometime these days unless you've got a story arc which is already written to support seven or eight series like say Game of Thrones I just do wonder whether some of these series where they dig themselves out of the hole at the end of one series and then almost like reboot it 
and you almost think, are these the same characters doing the same hmm. or being driven by the same purposes we had last season? I think sometimes it would actually be quite nice for a series only to last two seasons or three seasons and therefore be absolutely astonishing quality rather than that sort of do you know what i don't know whether i want to watch another series of that you're right i mean i would say that uh, fraser is probably the exception uh, as i mm -hmm. mentioned i'm a big fan i've got a dvd box set and i think every other year um we might watch it again because it's just exquisite um i think it's just superbly written and and, and acted interestingly a year later another very famous series friends uh, started and well, we know what that is. I mean, to this day, I'm told that Friends is still the most watched TV series on uh, both cable and satellite. And you mentioned quiz shows earlier on. Mm. I was watching a quiz show this week, and the question was which of these American sitcoms lasted the longest? And Cheers, Frasier, Friends, and I think Seinfeld was on there as well. Right. And I guess Seinfeld, and of course, the answer was Frasier. Mm. <laughs> Pascal, shall we move on to this week's creator shout-outs? And this is the section where we shout out content created by people within our network or maybe slightly outside our network, celebrating their awesome pieces of work. So, Pascal, who have you got in the frame this week? So my content creator this week, Roger, is a lady called Beth Hewitt. Now, Beth Hewitt is the director of Visualize You. Now, I've known Beth for some years, and I knew her, or I've known her as a blogger. She was an exceptional creative writer. I was always impressed. As you know, writing isn't my favorite form of expression, and I was always impressed how she could come up with things to say, uh, creative titles, very intriguing content, and so on. But just recently, she launched a podcast, and you know I'm a big fan of New Beginnings. So so the podcast is called the Visualize You podcast and is currently available on a platform that would be familiar to you called Captivate.fm. Mm -hmm. And what she's done really as part of the podcast is applying content marketing techniques and rules that you and I respect and, and really appreciate. And the, the, the premise of her business, as well as the podcast, is to help people visualize and start a business which is more in line with their true calling and their true skill set. So it's kind of, you know, the convergence, again, of uh, passion, performance, and so on. And what she's looking to do is, uh, um, through, obviously, her services, but also through the podcast, where she can do solo recordings as well as having guests, is to help you kind of adopt skills and mindsets to help you package promote and profit from your career and life experiences. What she's saying is that when you create a business that is essentially born out of your true talent, you have a much a much happier experience as a business owner. And as a result, of course, your customers are receiving a better service, but you still need to kind of get your head around the packaging of, those, um, of your skill set and experiences, then you have to find ways to promote it. And of course, you need to make sure that you charge for your service correctly. Through, through the podcast, she's going to essentially investigate how that can be done and share that with her audience. That sounds really interesting, Pascal, definitely. Now, I tell a story in my presentations. Now, you know that I'm obsessed with keeping things simple and simple language and simple products and simple marketing plans. Um, and one of the skits that I use in some of my presentations is to say that, you know, Pascal, if we were in the pub together and you wanted a pint of beer, I'd say to you, I'll go and buy us a couple of pints. That's what I'd say, isn't it? What I wouldn't say is... 
a couple of pints of fermented hops served in a clear cylindrical vessel of fused silicon will be procured by me for us to imbibe. You'd, you'd look at me as if I was a complete Muppet. Although, uh, although we pro- should put this at a test one day, though, Roger. <laughs> you, we should put it to the test one day. Now, that that, that always gets a bit of a laugh in, uh, in the uh, presentation. And I noticed an article today written by an old friend of mine, a lady called Faith Liversage. Now, Faith used to work in the marketing team with me back in the old Royal London days, in the bright grey days. And she's written this article. It's on LinkedIn, and it's called Imprisoned in a Short Custom crust pastry so I, I had a look at that and it's a it's a it's a bit of a light-hearted a, uh, article but it sort of made me laugh because it's it's sort of giving a slight little dig at the same sort of thing that I was mentioning with the with the I'll go and buy us a couple of pints and it, and it's how some industries almost embellish their products using flowery language and verbose language and and nowhere is this more endemic than within the restaurant industry so for example what would you say were pan-fried breaded goujons of cod nestling on top a sumptuous bed of creamy dill mash fish fingers and mash that's what it is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of this goes on in some industries. You find it in wine as well. They're, they're talking about notes of vanilla and cork and and uh, oak and, and and all of this sort of thing. And it and it sort of makes you laugh, but it is part of the brands of a lot of companies. And 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 Faith's written this really funny article. It's it's a really short article. You'll be able to read it in less than five minutes, but it's it's going to make you laugh. Faith's a bit like me. She likes simplicity in marketing, but it really drew my attention. and It reminded me that I must get in touch and um, and have a coffee because Faith does live in, in Edinburgh. So check it out. Faith Liversedge and Imprisoned in Shortcuts Pastry. Love it. Thank you very much, Roger. Okay, Pascal, best part of the show. Shall we move on to film marketing? It's the film marketing section. This is where Pascal and I discuss a film. Could be an old film, could be a new film about to be released. And we look at how that film was or is being marketed and the lessons that we can learn as marketers for our own marketing campaigns. So, Pascal, we've got something pretty up to date today, haven't we? We we have. We're going to talk about Mulan, and the Mulan. film version of the very kind of well-known and ancient legend of China, where a young woman uh, essentially dresses herself as this male soldier to save her father's uh, reputation and potentially life. And this is known to international audience because there was a 1998 uh, animated uh, cartoon, if you will, Roger, that was done by Disney themselves. So mm-hmm. Mulan, the film, is a Disney production. And we've done it again, Roger. It so happens that the day of recording this podcast is the day of the release of Mulan <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. We've done almost something similar with Tenet. And the reason why I bring those two films together is that Tenet was the first kind of blockbuster film, Roger, that was released at the theatres. Yeah, Mulan 
Ashley Zero, which is the first kind of major blockbuster to be released by via streaming only, uh, Disney Plus pr primarily. Let me take you back to what has happened to this film, like all the others impacted upon by the pandemic. Now, the film was originally scheduled to be released, would you believe, last year? So in mm -hmm. 2019, I mean that. So, and it was pushed and pushed by reasons where it was clashing with, with other titles. But eventually they settled on, we're going to go for the 27th of March, 2020. Of yeah. course, the pandemic happened. They said, well, don't worry then, we're going to go for July 24th. All will be well by then. <laughs> now, don't worry, we're going to go for 21st of August. All will be well by then. And then eventually, they decided to cancel all attempt to release the movie uh, through the theaters. And instead, they're going to go for what they called, you know, streaming only. And you will be able to access the movie by paying a premium fee via Disney+. Plus. So if you uh, are on Disney+, Plus, you pay your few pounds, a few dollars a month, but to access this film there will be a premium fee so roger this is the first movie to do so and again i think people are going to be watching it very very carefully to see whether or not this is worthy of uh, you know their own production their own film to be kind of um, dealt in that manner yeah we've said this before pascal haven't we that uh, COVID has changed everything. And, you know, on the one hand, you've, you've got the pressure from the government now saying people have got to get back to work. People have got to get back to work. And I don't know whether you can um, you can assume that everything has to go back to the way it was before. You know, a lot of companies have worked out that they can save a fortune by having people working from home. And maybe instead of forcing people back into city centres so that coffee shops and restaurants and all of that infrastructure that used to support the worker is okay. Maybe you just have to move on and say, no, things have changed. And the same with cinemas. Now, before COVID, yes, I would be first in line for a new Bond film, first in line for a film like Tenet, first in line for a film like Mulan. But now things have changed. And I don't know whether I want to go to the cinema straight away to see a film. But on the other side of the coin, I don't know whether I want to watch, wait six months for it to come out on Blu-ray or DVD. So I think that what they've done here is actually good. It's giving you the choice to pay a little bit more. Now, their, their fee for watching it is $29.99, isn't it? And, I mean, that's fine. I... I if I go to the cinema, if I go to the Odeon in Edinburgh, the one that I go to, I usually pay for the slightly bigger seats, you know, the, the premier seats. And I think they're about £15 each, those tickets, maybe £16. On top of that, I'll probably buy a coffee. Um, and so I would be happy to pay that sort of price to watch a newly released blockbuster in the privacy of my own home. And I could argue that actually it's a more pleasant experience because sometimes you go to the cinema these days and by the time somebody's got a bucket of popcorn or somebody else is crunching away on nachos and dribbling cheese all over the floor or eating a gigantic stinky <laughs> hot dog you do you do sometimes wonder whether you actually would be better off at home but you know you can't expect a big uh, studio to be happy to just let you pay five ninety nine for the entire family to watch a new blockbuster. I think we should expect to pay the sort of price you would expect to be charged at a cinema. But I, I, I hope this actually works because I have a bit of a fear, Pascal. You know, I yesterday I saw the new trailer for Bond twenty five. Mm. It's 
utterly amazing, loved it, and they're now saying that it's going to be released on the 14th of November, I think. I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm not sure that actually we're going to be still going to the cinema on the 14th of November, and I don't want them to delay it again, so please... If, if there is that possibility, I'll pay 35 quid to watch Bond 25. So fingers crossed that this works for Mulan, works for Disney+. Plus. Yeah, so before we move on to um, the marketing element, you know, there's, there's a, um, I came across an article online, Roger, from a chap called Gene Del Vecchio. He's an mm-hmm. entertainment consultant working in Hollywood. And he, what he was saying is that this may sound like a maverick move from Disney Plus or Disney, you know, the, the production company, but actually the numbers do stack up. What he was saying mm-hmm. is that they don't need um, a very high percentage of current subscribers to Disney Plus to make actually enough money for this to be worth their while. Interestingly, Tenet and Mulan had very similar budgets, I think just over the $200 million, which is a small budget. But So I think what's going to be fascinating is to compare, obviously, who's winning here. Uh, I'm told that in Europe primarily, not in the US, Tenet has done reasonably well at the theaters, Mm -hmm. reasonably Mm -hmm. well, bearing in mind current circumstance. It'll be fascinating to see what uh, Mulan's going to do uh, online. But what, what the chap was saying, Gene Del Vecchio, is that they have an audience, you know, and I've not seen much in terms of uh, uh, advertising right now. I think what is interesting is that the marketing was obviously taking place with the hope of the theatrical release. And I'm wondering whether, back to my earlier comments, I think it was actually episode one, if I'm not mistaken, on Disney+, mm-hmm. Plus, they're going to go, well, we have subscribers. All they need is a, a newsletter, an announcement, and we'll do that. The, the tricky part for me in terms of marketing Mulan is that it is a legend. It is known to the international audience because of the animation. But the the, the, um, the real challenge is that, of course, it is a Chinese film, albeit, you know, it has an international production kind of uh, mind behind it. And it has, uh, I believe, a New, a New Zealand uh, um, uh, director, forgive me, Roger, based in New Zealand. But the cast... Unless you have, uh, you are like me, a fan of Hong Kong movies and Asian yes. action cinema, you won't know many of them, you know. So yes, you have Louis Yefe, um, that is Mulan, which is known to some of us because of other action films and drama she's done in China. You've got Donnie Yen, which may not need as much introduction. People may remember him from Rogue, Rogue One and all the mm-hmm. international movies, but primarily, again, it's been very busy in China and Hong Kong. Jet Li. I'd be the best known kind of actor there because of the expendables and other movies that he's done internationally. I'm thinking of uh, The One, I'm thinking of um, Kiss the Dragon and that kind of things. Jason Scott Lee, I think, was, is in there as well to kind of try and seduce <laughs> the American audience. Jason Scott Lee is best known for playing Bruce Lee in Dragon the Bruce Lee story. Yeah. And then you've got many that, again, uh, I'm familiar with, Roger, because uh, with um, my friend Chris Duck, we spent far too many um, years of our lives watching Hong Kong movies. You've got Sima, who plays the father. You've got Chang Pei Pei, who actually was the um, the villainous in uh, Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and many other names out there from this, the small and big screen of, of uh, Chinese um, movie industry, but not necessarily known internationally. So they've had to find different ways to, to market it. And to, so far, what they've done is they had the, the teaser trailers, they had the teaser posters, they had obviously uh, some of the action scene presented actually just before the rise of Skywalker, like it did at the same time. What they did, which was, was interesting, Roger, I might get your reaction on that, is in addition to what you would expect movies to do, 
they also released a prequel novel. So there's a book out there called Mulan Before the Sword, a novel that was released actually in February 2020 uh, to kind of, again, whet the appetite uh, of the fans. So again, in terms of marketing, it's kind of okay, but for a movie that could risk actually being passed you know, on by the international audience, I would have thought they would have been more than that. Yeah, the book thing's very interesting. I mean, I love books. You know, I, I still like to have a properly printed book in my hand. I would imagine that the majority of people who read this, if if they read the the pre the prequel at all, will probably be reading it on a Kindle or something like that. So it does seem to me to be a bit of a strange way to market a film, especially a, a, a film that isn't mainstream, and especially a film that doesn't have actors that the majority of people are going to be aware of. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, is the marketing of this film to the existing subscribers of Disney Plus going to be enough to get enough people to pay the extra $29 to watch the watch it as it premieres in order to convince the other studios that it's a good route to take their own maybe even more prestigious blockbusters in, straight into the um, into the home cinema now it's interesting and and time will tell i mean obviously today is a day of the official release and yes, you know, the trailer looks amazing. I know that, you know, it's going to be a fantastic story to watch. It's going to be a proper family show. Um, but you're back to that. You know, we said that this time of year would be very crowded when it comes to movies, whether the theater or streaming and so on. And, and I think people have a lot to choose from on Disney Plus and the other streaming services. And that's why I was still thinking that maybe Disney Plus could have done just a bit more to create a sense of excitement than perhaps has been happening to date. Can I watch this film if I don't subscribe to Disney Plus? Can I pay the $29 as a one-off? Or do I actually have to take out a subscription to Disney Plus and pay the $29? I think it's going to be the latter. Um, interestingly, the movie will be shown on theatres where they don't have Disney Plus as right. a streaming service, which includes China. <laughs> That's interesting. You see, again, maybe they're missing a trick there. You see, I would pay $32 to watch it without having to have the subscription to Disney+. Plus. Now, I suppose technically I could subscribe to Disney+, Plus, which is, what, $5.99 mm -hmm. for a month? I could subscribe for a month, pay the $29 to watch Mulan, and then cancel the subscription. But why make it complicated for me? Why not just let me pay $32 to watch Mulan and have done with it. But I think for me, it's also all those missed opportunities that we've explored before. So for example, why don't I actually go on Disney Plus for the first time ever, uh, pay to watch Mulan, and I'm given three months free, mm -hmm. and then I can then choose to renew. Why don't mm -hmm. I actually go on the Mulan official website and have lots of uh, freebies to download? Why don't I actually get a free copy of the book? You know, try and find ways, again, to to work it out. And, and, and maybe, forgive me, Roger, they have done so, but it's been so discreet that it's not making, you know, a ripple out there. It's not in the headlines. It's not being covered by any of the movies and marketing books that, that I consult. Absolutely. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that it works, because I think both of us would quite like to see more of this in-home release. And as I said before, I hope that it ends up happening with Bond 25 if there's potentially another delay to caused by the pandemic. So 
yeah, let, let, let's be let's be charitable and keep our fingers crossed and hope that it's a massive, massive success. Well, Pascal, episode 10 draws to a conclusion. Lots of great content to talk through today. I've really, really enjoyed it. Everybody, thank you so much for watching or listening to Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, please subscribe, leave comments and suggestions in the usual places that you consume your podcasts. Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni. Thank you.